is Histories and Mysteries. I'm Ashley. I'm Jessica. And on this week's episode, Ashley's going to be doing the case of Leanne Marie Hausberg. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I <completely> forgot. <laughs> we just said over two minutes ago. Not even two minutes ago, like shamefully 10 seconds ago. Well, you know. <laughs> um, and I am going to be talking about Ida B. Wells. Ooh. Yeah. Do you know anything about her? The name sounds familiar, but that's it. I but nothing I could about be her, thinking actually, of another really. Ida, so I don't know. <laughs> oh, my lady's a badass. Nice. I like your like theme you have going on of badass women. I know. I specifically looked up badass women in history. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like it. All right. Tell me about this Leanne lady. Yeah. So this is uh, really sad. Um, oh. She is a missing person and she has been missing for the past 22 years. And she went missing at the age of 14. Oh. Yeah. So, oh, I should say I got my um, story, <laughs> my resources from a documentary called Missing Persons. Oh. And it's basically like this lady who kind of got enthralled in the Gabby Petito case and thought like, hey, if we could use like the same kind of like media power and social media power to help these other people who have been missing. Maybe we can help solve some of these. So this Mm -hmm. is kind of like her documentary. So. Okay. So when Leanne was little, she was a happy little girl having fun, just living her life. But at about 12, she started changing, which makes sense because that's when the hormones kind of start coming in. You're a preteen, almost a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, she became, like, more introverted, um, started hanging out with a crowd that her mom didn't really like. Um, But, again, they just kind of talked up to her being a teen or, like, a preteen, you know. They're a whole nother breed. (laughs) Oh, they are. Honestly, like, my child is even two and she's crazy. I know. The teenage years terrify me more than any year. Yeah. Teenagers. A hundred percent, especially because teen- especially girls, they can be super moody. Yeah. Yeah. There's just so many hormones going on and their brains aren't developed enough to handle it all. Sorry, any teenagers listening. Anyway, we love you. <laughs> um, so about six months before Leanne went missing, her mom, who's only in her thirties, had a stroke. And she had a pretty major stroke. She, they interview her in the documentary. She can still talk, um, but her mobility is really limited. So Leanne had to take care of her other sisters a lot more than she used to have to. Um, A lot of that, unfortunately, fell on Leanne's shoulders. And I felt so bad for her mom because her mom was like, you know, if, if that ruined your life, I'm sorry. Like, that's just really sad. That's really sad. I know. Um, and apparently the day Leanne went missing, she woke up her sister who was sleeping in the living room and was like, hey, can I borrow your jacket? I'll see you after school. And her sister was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And that's the last time her sister saw her. Really? Yeah. Oh. She apparently left the house with, they said, knapsack. I think it's just like a backpack. <laughs> You've never said knapsack? Well, yeah, but I mean, I think they just meant like, backpack like knapsack makes me think of like 
I don't know, like a like a bag with like a over thing, you know, like a it's it's just a backpack. <laughs> oh. Well, who says knapsack? It's a backpack. I do. <laughs> Ew, Canadian. And <laughs> you say knapsack? I say knapsack, backpack, whatever the sentence kind of feels like it fits. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said knapsack in my entire life. <laughs> do you say superior, supper? Sorry. Are you a supper person? Yeah. Ew. And dinner. I say both. I say dinner. I don't know why. I hate the word supper. I don't know why. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I, you know that like in babies. some places, I think it's what supper is lunch and then dinner is dinner. I would die. I hate the word supper. <laughs> I don't know why. It's like the word moist that everybody hates. I hate that word too. But supper is like that for me. I hate supper. Ugh. Yeah. Oh, that's really unfortunate. Let me know if I'm the only one. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, so anyway, she had her knapsack, an old pendant, and just like her regular clothes. Um, and she kept a diary. So she's 14. She keeps a diary. She writes in it almost every single day. And they pointed out that that would be kind of weird if she were running away she would take that with her like as a teenager if you write in a diary every single day that's like your that's your best friend you know yeah like especially because if you're gonna run away you wouldn't want anybody reading your diary exactly exactly yeah so when she didn't come home from school her dad kind of he got he got worried and he started going through the neighborhood and they were looking for her and he was asking around like has anybody seen her and nobody had seen her so he went home the next morning he woke up she still wasn't there and so Sorry. he called the police what did you not hear my sneeze <laughs> no i didn't <laughs> okay. i heard sorry and i was like what <laughs> it's like a violent sneeze oh <laughs> i did not hear it oh that's really funny <laughs> okay carry on okay uh so once she wasn't there the next morning when he woke up he finally called the police okay um they got her phone the phone records and remember this was like 1999 so most people still use like a landline yeah um and it showed that the family phone had called a transportation place the morning she went missing at 6.04 a.m. The detectives, like the piece of paper that the dad got with the phone records on it, at the bottom, a detective had written, um, like circled that phone call at 6.04, wrote Bruins Transportation, and then a name next to it. Um, and the documentary never gives out this name. So we don't know what it is to protect their anonymity because I don't, they're not a suspect per se. And they're not even like a, per, I wouldn't even go as far as to say they're a person of interest, but they are someone that they feel maybe had the last known contact with her. So they're not naming the name. So either way, we don't know. Do they saying. have suspects that they're going to discuss? Not really. Oh, how do they expect people to help find her? Well, there's really not a lot. So I'll I'll get into it. But okay. so this name that was written on there at the time, he was like an 18 or 19 year old boy. And he had met Leanne at a party a few months prior. 
and they found out that there was another transportation business within walking distance of where Leanne lived. And so knowing that her dad went there to ask them if they had seen anybody that looked like her and they said they did. And that someone that matched Leanne's descriptions, um, got a, like a, a ride transportation. So I think like a taxi or something Mm -hmm. from their place to Liberty Avenue in East New York, which is where Bruins transportation is. Um, they also found out that the cab that was driving her to Bruins transportation, um, had called the number of the guy whose name we don't know. I'm gonna call him Bob for ease. Ew, that's so horrible. Sorry, I can't say that. (laughs) Bob, Bob's not a horrible name. Bob. Bob. Um, yeah, so... From what they can tell, she went to Bruins Transportation at 6.04 in the morning to meet with this guy. Bob. Bob. So, unfortunately, this same time, one of Bruins Transportation buses flipped on the road. And eight people died. Oh, my goodness. And 15 people went to the hospital. So, because of that... Everybody who worked at Bruins Transportation, who may have been of help, were, like, preoccupied and, like, their memories of that time weren't very good and it was just chaotic. And anything they did remember didn't pertain to some random girl coming in. It was to that chaotic crash that they were dealing with. Was she part of that crash? She wasn't. She was not on that. Okay. Thankfully. I was going to say, that's it. That's suspicious. Yeah. No, she was not on that. It's just that that caused kind of a, an issue in the investigation. Okay. Um, They did, the police did tell the dad that they called in that man. All the dad knew was that apparently that guy got a lawyer and then nothing ever really came of it. So after more investigation, her parents found um a piece of paper in her room with Bob's phone number on it. And they're like, okay, like this, she obviously knew him. And the reporter of this documentary was able to find out that they did question Bob. um, And he said that he did know Leanne, but that she had not come to see him that morning. And he had not spoken to her in a few days. Oh, that's odd. Yeah. So who knows, right? Um, they also in her room found her diary. And in it, she talks about cutting school, getting drunk, failing out of or not failing out of school, but failing like a lot of classes in school. And she also wrote, My father is an asshole. If I run away, it will be his fault. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. And- he like apologized. He's like, I just want to tell her I'm sorry that I was an asshole if she ever came back and blah, blah, blah. Oh, I know. And she also wrote, Parents don't know what us kids go through. They always say you got it easy. We might got it easy, but we have a lot of problems. My father is so hard on me. I should just commit suicide. So do they think that's what she did? So that's another possibility, but. 
they brought up a good point of what 14 year old is going to be able, is going to commit suicide and do it so privately that nobody's ever able to find her body. I mean, if she wants to get back at her dad, maybe for being yeah. a dick. And that's kind of like a little final jab, like, oh, you can't find me. Yeah. And I was trying to think like, you know, maybe she like jumped off a bridge or whatever, but somebody would have seen her. I you mean, know? not especially at six in the morning. I mean, not necessarily. Like she could have gone to a secluded spot. Yeah. Uh, she could have jumped off anything that's high up, right? Yeah. I'm sure there is something secluded in a forest. Well, so that is one possibility. Um, the diary also mentions a boy named Matthew, who was her boyfriend at the time. And he said that the cops did come to his house to talk to him. He said the day before she went missing, he called her. Uh, he was at the YMCA and he called her on a payphone. And for our younger listeners, a payphone was this thing. <laughs> <laughs> that you could use. You put money in it and you can make a phone call. It's so sad that they're gone. Like they took them out of our work when I worked at the um I don't work there anymore, so I used to work for the OPP. Um <laughs> and yeah, we had like a bunch of payphones in our lobby and stuff, and really? then they took them out one day. It was like oh, I haven't seen really those. Sad. Yeah, I haven't seen one in forever. Did you ever like when you were younger? So like if I was somewhere and my parents come pick me up, I'd do like the collect call. And then as my name, I'd be like, come pick me up. <laughs> and I go, no. oh, you never did that. No. I did that. I love that. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so they did get a hold of him, and again, he said they got into some kind of argument. He doesn't remember. This is like 22 years later. Um, they hung up and the next day she went missing. He's now like got kids of his own you know it's been 22 years so this is really weird to me they had his dad had like a piece of paper like a list of her friends with their phone numbers on it and he said he would call around like right when she went missing to see like hey have you heard from her do you know where she is do you know anything about her blah 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 and he said some of her friends said that they never even knew her what yeah there's like oh, i don't know who that is I didn't know her. I mean, or it could be her friends just going along with it. Right. Either way, weird, right? Yeah. And this is also really weird. A few days after Leanne went missing, her grandmother received a phone call. And all the phone call said was, Leanne is all right. And then hung up. Oh. It was a female voice. But it wasn't Leanne's and it wasn't a voice that her grandma recognized. It's weird. Yeah. And that's kind of where the case ends. What? The family has consistently talked with the police, but they feel like no one is helping them. Um, Finally, in August of 2021, Leanne's sister called a private investigator. And the private investigator agreed to do this case pro bono because she felt bad for the family. Uh, but she did say that they're not getting any information from the police because the police are saying, you know, it's still an open investigation, so we can't give you any information. She's like, so it's going to be really difficult to figure anything out. And her sister does have a TikTok that she posts 
pretty regularly on about her sister's missing case. And her, she is Nicole. Okay, I'm just going to spell it, but it's N-I-C-O-L-E-A-R-T-A-L-E. So if anybody wants to go follow her on TikTok, she has more up-to-date information and, you know, hopefully they'll get more information than they have now and maybe finally get some peace on this. But if you do have any tips, if one of our listeners knows anything or has heard anything, we'll put how to reach out in the show notes. That's insane. Isn't that crazy? I, it's interesting because I was also going to do like a, um, I was going to do a kidnapping case, Mm -hmm. but I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? I really hate it when I listen to stories and they're unsolved. I know, me too. I was thinking about that too, but I was like, well, maybe some people like missing stories and I'm doing another missing story next week, but then I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I just, uh, I just, I don't, what do you think happened? I, I honestly think maybe she ran away. Yeah. Um, or like something off your dad like i don't like she, uh, yeah she i don't have know. a good relationship with her mom or her sister well remember she was taking on all that responsibility and taking care of her sisters and yeah. everything the i think either one of two things happened either she ran away or something bad happened to her by yeah. someone she knows yeah i just find it odd that whoever called called her grandmother yeah and that's why i'm thinking like you know if she had a bad relationship with her dad. Her mom was having a lot of medical issues, but she was close with her grandma. Maybe she wanted her grandma to know she was okay, so her grandma didn't worry. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. What do you oh. think happened? Um, One of two things. I think either she got into some trouble, like she got pregnant or something. Mm. By that unknown man mm-hmm. Bob. Um, <laughs> and so she ran away because she knew that her dad was gonna be very strict about it. Yeah. Or she committed suicide somewhere very secluded. Yeah. And I mean, I don't like I feel like she might have gone somewhere else, hence the traveling places that she called. Mm-hmm. Um, so that it wouldn't be obvious where she would go. And maybe like to a national park, you can get lost in those places. Yeah, I just feel like at, at 14, if I just I don't know. I don't I don't but she was in a bad crowd. She was drinking and doing drugs, right? And partying. So Yeah, but I mean like to be able to have the the thought of how like the, I don't want to say smarts. What's the word I'm looking for? Like the. The know-how. Yeah, I guess to be able to just completely disappear as like committing, like if you were going to die by suicide, like just completely like not even detectives can find your body. Like, yeah, but the nineties were wild, man. <laughs> And she would have been part of the 80s too. So it's a lot of wild movies out there. That, yeah. I don't know. know. I don't, I don't know. I don't think I'd buy that one, but <laughs> oh well. 
whatever the case. Hopefully we'll find out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully the family gets some kind of closure. Yeah. Okay. So Ida. Be Wells. Ida be well. But first of all, I would just like to thank you for your story. Oh, well, you're welcome. Because as much as I hate unsolved cases, I do think it's really important to get the word out there mm-hmm. so that we can potentially help the family find out what happened. So there is also, I meant to mention, um, they have a website and it's Leanne Hausberg. So it's L E A N N E H A U S B E R G dot org. Um, and you can go there and kind of read more about it and see I don't know just learn more about it and if you have any information send it there as well oh sorry I'm just I'm looking at my story and I had a panic because (laughs) (laughs) I uh I had I emailed it to myself because I researched on a different computer and half of my story was missing oh geez so I was terrified because I'm like, where are my links? Like, I I know I put them in here and they weren't there. And I maybe had like a page. And so I freaked out. So I'm going to be reading <laughs> from my email. Okay. Because <laughs> it has it all there. That's weird. Yeah. So whatever. Fuck my eyesight. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get through this. I know it. <laughs> So I used all that's interesting, of course, essence.com and history.com. So this is the story of Ida B. Wells. I love her. (laughs) So I hope you all do too. (laughs) Ida B. Wells was a black woman. She stood her ground in the whites only section of a Nashville bound train around 70 years before Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. Seventy years prior to yeah yeah however after being forced off the train wells filed a lawsuit against the railroad she won and began a legendary career in social activism that lasted the rest of her life oh yeah she's amazing after leading an anti-lynching crusade across the south she later I, evolved i hate that that had to be a thing anti-lynching like she just know that's not okay. Yeah. Sorry. I just hated that. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, it's true. It's awful. Like I did that one story on that, uh, that man and yeah, mm-hmm. that was just awful. Yeah. Awful, awful. I guess I should probably put like a content warning on this. Oh yeah. That's a lot of badness. Um, Da, 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 da. She later evolved into a vocal advocate for women's suffrage. Wells traveled the American South equipped with a pistol to investigate and document the epidemic of violence being committed against Black Americans while fighting against lynching. Ida B. Wells battled Jim Crow America with a pen and paper and her unshakable voice in an effort to bring justice to those who had suffered and awareness to the willfully ignorant. And it was just the start of her career. Wow. Yeah. I love her. (laughs) 
Ida B. Wells grew up in a society where changes to the law did not immediately affect how they were applied, let alone how individuals thought or behaved. She was born a slave on July 16, 1862, Ida Bell Wells. What's the name? Sorry. <laughs> Six months before the Emancipation Proclamation freed all of America's slaves on a federal basis. So she was a slave for six months. Wow. She and her family were residents of Holly Springs, Mississippi, where racism persisted despite efforts by law to do so. Racism still persists there. Yes. The parents of Wells got quite involved in the fight for equality, notably in the field of education, possibly in spite of or perhaps because of where they came from. Wells went on to attend Shaw University, which is now Rust College, which her father was a founding member of. Oh, awesome, right? Yeah. Wells was an enthusiastic student when she was younger, but age 16, tragedy struck forcing her to give up her studies when both of her parents and younger brother passed away from yellow fever. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Wells, who was the eighth child, took on the responsibility of looking after her younger siblings with the help of her grandmother. Thankfully, her parents had worked super hard, so they had a house, and they also had $300 in savings to keep them going for a little while. Oh. Wells and her siblings relocated to Memphis in 1882 to stay with an aunt. Despite missing a few years of school to care for her family, Wells, who is now around 18, managed to secure a couple of teaching positions at a school for Black children. Following in her parents' footsteps. (laughs) I love that. Ida quickly returned to her studies, though, and soon she was commuting back and forth from Memphis to Nashville to attend college. Her journey took a historic turn while she was on one of these trips. Ida Wells fought a first... (laughs) (laughs) Ida Wells bought a (laughs) first-class ticket to return to Nashville in the spring of 1884. She flatly refused to go to the train's segregated car when one of the conductors insisted she do so. Wells remained seated in first class despite the conductor's insistence that it was a privilege reserved for white people alone. So she bought the ticket and they wouldn't let her have it. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. Wells retaliated in kind after the crew member violently removed her from her seat. Oh, and from the train. Yeah, I was, I'm was. i sure it wasn't gentle. Like, I'm sure violently was correct yeah. wording there. Oh, 100%. As she later recalled in her autobiography, quote, I refused saying that the forward car closest to the locomotive was a smoker. And as I was in the lady's car, I proposed to stay. <laughs> Sorry, that was really like... (laughs) I propose to stay. (laughs) Yes. The conductor tried to drag me out of the seat, but the moment he caught hold of my arm, I fastened my teeth in the back of his hand. Good for her. Yep. 
I had braced my feet against the seat in front and was holding in the back. And as he had already been badly bitten, he didn't try it again by himself. He went forward and got the baggage man and another man to help him. And of course, they succeeded in dragging me out. Wells filed a lawsuit against the train company and the judge awarded her a $500 payment. However, the defendants filed an appeal, Mm. which caused the case to be heard by the Tennessee Supreme Court. She unfortunately lost there and was forced to repay the settlement as well as pay the railroad an extra $200 in damages. Oh, come on. And since Ashley always asks me, (laughs) $500 today would be around $15,000. Whoa. And $200 would be around $6,000. So, in total, she would have had to pay them a total of $21,000 in today's currency, which is absolute robbery. Yeah, especially because you know she wasn't getting paid much to be a teacher at a black school. And she bought a first class ticket. Yeah, that too. <laughs> like, <laughs> that don't too. sell it if you don't want them to ride there. I just, you know, like I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I know that sounded bad, but like obviously, I I thought segregation was a load of bullshit. Yeah, you disagree with it, but I yeah 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 like don't offer it to a, an African American person if you have no intention of letting them sit there. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, just pisses me off. It's awful. Outraged, such as we all are. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She made the decision to share this incident with the local press. She rapidly made a name for herself as a journalist covering social justice, particularly its nexus with education, while writing under the pen name Lola. Oh. Or Iola? I thought it was Lola, but it's Iola. Oh, okay. <laughs> Either way, I thought it was Lola, but I thought Lola was cute. <laughs> I do like Lola. My friend's dog's name is Lola. Aw, that's adorable. Yeah. There are repercussions for this choice, obviously, because mm-hmm. why wouldn't there be? Of course. She unfortunately lost her job as a teacher at the segregated school. When she started speaking out against the conditions of the schools the children were forced to be in in 1891. Ida B. Wells continued to write about racial injustice in an approachable way, and she became particularly outspoken about lynching. All African Americans were at risk from this practice, but Wells was particularly affected because one of her friends was lynched after trying to defend his store from a group of white men. This begins kind of a new phase of her work in what she becomes because she kind of transformed into this investigative journalist. Okay. Go, Ida. Yeah. (laughs) She sees, of course, the stereotypes about Black men raping white women, but this was something lynch mobs most frequently accuse their victims of. She starts investigating these accusations. She actually goes to the scene of these lynchings. She interviews witnesses. She becomes really one of the first investigative reporters in this period. Wow. That's awesome. She's amazing. 
Using statistics and quantitative data, Wells concluded that this idea of rape and even criminal behavior is not so much connected to lynching, but that lynching was a means to keep Blacks, who were very economically competitive at this point, to keep them down. Yeah. She also found that in some cases, the rape Black men were accused of was actually consensual sex with white women. Yeah. Yeah. Writing eventually evolved into practical activity, and Wells bravely started traveling across the country to study lynching and launch a successful campaign against the crime. She also released a book, A Red Record, which was an astonishing monograph on lynching in the Confederate South, in which she asked Congress to take action against rampant mob violence. Her reporting was extensively circulated through pamphlets. Wells' astute observations and analyses are startling on their own, but become even more so when put in the context of today. Much of what Wells observed and explained about racial inequity and racial social dynamics in her writing is still relevant today, as people continue to use law and order justifications for violence against people of color. In her own words, the first excuse given to the civilized world for the murder of unoffending Negroes was the necessity of the white man to repress and stamp out alleged race riots. For years, immediately succeeding the war, there was an appalling slaughter of colored people, and the wires usually conveyed to northern people and the world of the intelligence, first, that an insurrection was being planned by Negroes, which a few hours later would prove to have been vigorously resisted by white men and controlled with a resulting loss of several killed and wounded. Holy guacamole. Wow. It was always a remarkable feature in these insurrections and riots that only Negroes were killed during the rioting and that all the white men escaped unharmed. Yeah, that's like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's sus. Mm-hmm. Ugh, I hate it. Yeah. Sorry, my eyes went, like, wonky there. <laughs> <laughs> Woo, that was a, that was a long in. <laughs> Ida Wells provides the names, places, and explanations for each lynching she came across in the South in her book. Wow. Like, that's ballsy. Yeah, for sure. And I bet there was several. Well, and she even, like, used their names. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Oh, I love her. Words like attempted and alleged frequently precede the many offenses that are attributed to those who were lynched. I'm sure, and, yeah. And this is very significant because these people were frequently never given a fair trial. If one at all. Yeah. Mob law. Yeah. It's awful. Awful. In a column in the Free Speech and Headlight, which she co-founded, Wells urged Black residents to leave Memphis because officials in the town fail to protect our lives and property, nor give us a fair trial in the courts, but takes us out and murders us in cold blood when accused by a white person. In some cases, white males do not try to use the accusations of crime or violence to support their desire for for lynching. (laughs) 
I saw Wells right after. So kind of came in. <laughs> like maneuvers. <laughs> so basically, like, they didn't really do anything, but I'm feeling the need to lynch someone. Yeah, yeah, just because they the um person of color insulted them or you know there was just nothing at all that they did they just kind of were walking by yeah wrong place wrong time yeah exactly throughout her life ida b wells persisted in the pursuit of social justice which finally led to her advocating for women's suffrage Hmm. there were obstacles for wells as well she and other non-white feminists were forced to march either behind the white feminists spearheading the historic 1913 march on Washington or on their own, despite the fact that they were well-respected. Yeah, and they're activists. fighting for the same thing. Yeah, and they were journalists, too. Yeah. So it's it's really unfortunate. Yeah, it's awful. Wells established the Alpha. Wow. <laughs> the Alpha Suffrage Club in Chicago as a result. <laughs> she organized local women to vote for politicians who would best represent the Black community. This event made it clear to Wells, a Black woman, that upending racial equality was a crucial prerequisite for achieving true gender equality. For all intents and purposes, white women were granted the right to vote before Black women, providing Wells with whatever additional proof she needed to back up her belief. Mm -hmm. And I honestly am ashamed to say I didn't know that. Yeah. I... I thought that, you know, all women gained the right to vote at the same time. That's what we're told. Yeah. I mean, I guess I didn't know that either. Like, I assumed that they probably didn't get the right to vote when white women did because people suck. But, I, yeah, I guess I was always told that all women, they just say women. Yeah. Women earned the right to vote. Yeah makes me angry yeah okay (laughs) we shall move along (laughs) while the 15th amendment which was ratified in 1870 outlawed racial discrimination in voting the systemic suppression of black voters via the use of literacy tests or the imposition of poll taxes for example wasn't rendered unlawful until the passage of the Voting Rights Act in 1965. Wow. That's so horrifying. Recent. Yeah. Ugh. Possibly only then, 40 years after women were granted the right to vote, were Black women able to take part in one of the foundations of democracy like their white female counterparts. In 1895, Ida B. Wells wed Ferdinand Barnett, who was a well-known Chicago lawyer. Together, they had four children, and they apparently enjoyed a respectful and intellectually stimulating racial relationship. Fuck. I'm assuming the word racial is not supposed to be in there. Oh, it's supposed to be relationship. 
Oh, I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> it's been a really long day. <laughs> this is our first recording of the night. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I hope our kids knew how badass she was. I hope so. And yeah, I'm sure they did. Yeah. I'm just mad. I'm not mad. I just think it's wild that we always hear of Rosa Parks. Yeah. But we've never heard of Ida. Yeah. Yeah. That is crazy. And she was earlier than Ida, like than Rosa Parks. Like, I feel like Ida would have paved the way for Rosa to be able to do that. Yeah, for sure. Anyways. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The same friend also said of the relationship that Ida struggled to strike a balance between her advocacy and her time with her family. Mm. So her kids might have, like, her kids probably know, but they also might have had resentment. Yeah. Because if she was always so engaged in all of that stuff. Yeah. So who knows? Yeah. Wells founded a few civil rights organizations in the early 1900s and was a co-founder of the National Association for the Advancement of Color People, but she left the organization when it was still young. On March 25th, 1931, Ida B. Wells passed away in Chicago, Illinois from kidney disease. Her influence as a proponent of social justice and a scholar of the subject is still felt today. In July of 2018, Chicago named a street after her. Aww. A monument honoring Wells Barnett, who remained politically active in Chicago until her death in 1931, was built that same month after organizers raised $300,000. Oh, I love that. Yeah. In 2020, she was finally awarded the Pulitzer Prize in recognition of her work to end violence against people of color, to end racial discrimination, and to analyze the socio-political institutions created to maintain the dominance of white men. To honor Ida B. Wells' legacy, we must not simply take note of these truths, but act, as Wells once said, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. Aww. Oh, and that was God. all about Ida B. Wells. I love Ida B. Wells. Me too. <laughs> what a badass woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. love that. Thank you. That was great. Yeah, you're welcome. Much Sorry for mine. all my uh my word jumbles. <laughs> no I'm, worries. I'm gonna blame it on the double ear infection. That I can't hear anything. There you go. Mumbling <laughs> <laughs> the words together. <laughs> we'll get through it. We'll get through it. Oh, yeah. Have any jokes for me? Um, I'm looking up one right now. This one's really corny. Okay. A skeleton walks into a bar and says, Hey, bartender, I'll have one beer and a mop. <laughs> what? Because <laughs> it's going to fall right through him because he's a skeleton. Oh. I just liked that it had a skeleton in it. Yeah, it was, it was, it's not a good joke, though. No. You had to explain it. <laughs> well. Like you should have gotten that, but <laughs> no, <laughs> no, 
because it was not a good one. <laughs> well, because I was just like, does he want to use his spine as the broom handle or the mop handle? Like, I don't. I don't you weirdo. <laughs> Oh, here's one. What is the difference between bird flu and swine flu? Um, only one can fly. One require requires tweetment and the other an oinkment. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I loved that. That's a good one. That's a great one. <laughs> Do you have any? No, I'll save them for next week. Okay. Well, if you want more of us lovely ladies, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube. (laughs) And if you want to rate and review us, you can do so on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Yay! Yeah. (laughs) We look forward to bringing you two new stories next week. Bye. Bye!